It's making me look at the Bible and take it more seriously as a historical document. This is a big problem for the evolutionary community. I don't think enough attention is given to this. We have existed with these organisms. They're, they're just not millions yeah. of years old. That is the implication of this study. Do you, you ever see a day when uh, dinosaurs are resurrected? How old do you think the world is? The reason I ask that question is because recent evidence challenges all of that. And I'm Skyping with somebody today who's a bit of an expert on the topic. He's gonna fill us in kind of on what this discovery is. I'm just gonna let the cat out of the bag right now. It is soft tissue, yes, soft tissue in dinosaur bones. I'll bet that just blew your mind, at least I hope it did, if you subscribe to Old Ages for Earth's History. So without any further ado, I'm gonna introduce to you Dr. Mark Armitage from the Dinosaur Soft Tissue Research Institute. Did I get all that right, Dr. Mark? Yes, you did, Man. Pastor. Uh, it is a mouth, but uh, uh, we, that's why we often say distri, D-S-T-R-I.org. We're the only institute out there uh, really doing the kind of research that we're doing. Uh, and we have 11 publications so far in major scientific journals. So um, we are all about dinosaur soft tissue, understanding it, characterizing it, and bringing it to the attention of really the world. But first, the scientific community, because that's the sphere that we operate in. So it's a pretty exciting concept, and we hope that this we're trying to build something that will last uh, for decades and decades because we're just scratching the surface. Yeah, this is absolutely incredible. And when I heard about your organization, I thought I have got to get this guy on my show to have a conversation with him because, you know, I, I tell people all the time, I've got a teenager in the public school system here. Um, and, and in my mind's eye, evolution uh, is is the lie of our lifetime. I mean, this is just something that is assumed to be true today. How did you how did you get on this topic? Like, how did you get passionate about dino soft tissue? Well, uh, you know, I look back. I tell people my windshield is cracked and shattered and sandblasted, but my rearview mirror <laughs> is so crystal clear because I can see the inflection points that God walked me through all the way to this point. And I'll just start by saying we've made probably 20 world first discoveries in this field of study, wow. uh, which is not really hard because people are really afraid of this uh, topic of study. It, it cost me my career. Actually, I was running a million dollar laboratory at California State University when we first found the 48 inch long triceratops horn. So. Uh, a lot of people shy away from this because it can be a career killer, but people need to understand is real out there. And um, how did I get into this? I was trained as a soft tissue processing expert uh, in microscopy. Uh, when oh. you work with microscopes, you have to treat your tissues very specifically in order to get them on the microscope to view what's really there. And oftentimes, just by interacting with the soft tissue, we can change the character of it. So the whole goal is to process your tissues in a way that doesn't deform them or otherwise change them so that you can study what's really there. So I spent decades learning this technique of processing soft tissue. Now, it's not unique in the world to do this. Hospital laboratories process soft tissue every day of the week, patient soft tissue, even bone tissue. So we're not reinventing the wheel. We're simply applying standard hospital technology procedures that they use on soft tissue to what we're finding out there in these digs. And so my training was specifically to handle just about any tissue uh, that a PhD would bring into my laboratory. Um, one year, just to give you an example, I mean, I've done everything from snails through fish and birds and all kinds of organisms, a lot of plant organisms. But one time a researcher brought in jellyfish eyes for me to process. And so that's mostly water. <laughs> and so, but I successfully processed those for her research program. So 
When I started reading in the journals about dinosaur soft tissue, I said, no, this is all, this goes against all my training, decades and decades of training because these soft tissues break down on their own so quickly, um, let alone in the presence of a freeze-thaw cycle every year, such as we have in Montana, uh, water, snow melting uh, and percolating through these bones, radiation in the soil, microbes, bacteria, uh, protists, you know, single-celled organisms that are designed to, to break these things down, fungus, all these things were found uh, in these bones, and yet they still retain the same kind of soft tissues you have in your bones, cells and nerves and blood vessels and veins with even the little valves still in them. That so is incredible. It, 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 it was astonishing to me to read about it. And I know you said it was uh, recent, but this is not recent. These studies go back to the 60s. When you look you in the scientific the, the, the literature. 1960s, these studies go back that far. 1960s, it goes back that far. And it, obviously the pattern is one of, we don't want to hear about it. We don't want to wow. uh, talk about it. We don't want so, attention so to you, it. And so you, uh, and I didn't mean to interrupt you there. You, just so I get a, a good picture of what happened here, you, you basically, you lost your career in that field, so to speak. And that's what propelled you into starting this organization, this ministry, uh, researching dino dinosaur soft tissue, specifically honing in on that. So, um, yeah, that, that's incredible. It was an incredible process. Um, when we, when I got the invitation to go to Montana and dig at one of the world famous digs, it's called the Hell Creek Formation. It's a large formation that encompasses about seven states. Um, it has a sister uh, uh, area, too, called the Lance Formation, which covers another bunch of states. And this is where a high concentration of dinosaur remains are found in this country. Uh, most of them have been brought up to the surface, so you don't have to dig down 100 feet or 200 feet. Uh, a lot of times these are right at the surface. So when I got an invitation to go to Hell Creek in Montana... I was searching for a femur, a long bone, like you know, one of your arm bones or leg bones. Those are called long bones. And that's the work that had been done previously in the literature. People were digging up these long bones and dissolving them because they're not rock. They're still bone. About 95% of everything we take out of Hell Creek, and we've been on 10 digs so far, uh, are bone and not rock. The general public has been well indoctrinated to believing that not only are these things millions, tens, hundreds of millions of years old, but um, there's nothing in them. They're dry, dusty rock. Nothing could be further from the truth. And so when we went to Montana the first time, we couldn't find a long bone. So uh, we, we dug and dug and dug, and finally on the last day, the ranch owner said, I think I know where there's a, a triceratops horn, which is common in the Hell Creek. These are common bones. You literally can see them litter the ground as you're walking through these deposits. But we found this horn, uh, 48 inches long. It was pointed down in the dirt, so the large end of the horn was pointing up where all the water and microbes and everything could get into it. We even found rat uh, hairs, mice hairs, inside of these bones. So they're being heavily predated upon. And, and so, but yet we found cells, there's pictures here, and this is the first journal. By the way, everything's on our website, dstri.org. So I published the first paper um, at the request of the editor. The editor had been using me to review a lot of papers, Dr. Oppenheimer, and then Dr. one day he said, Mark, I need a paper from <laughs> That was his name, Dr. Stephen Oppenheimer. He'd been in the department at Cal State Northridge for some 50 years, and he recognized my ability, so I submitted the paper to him, and it was published in less than two months, which is, it's unbelievable. Most of my papers take about a year to get published, but he called me just before he approved the paper and said, Mark, this is very controversial. 
And I said, yeah, Doc, it, it is very controversial. And he goes, okay, thanks. And then he hung up, and the rest is history. It was published. The members of my department were incensed that uh, a person who believes in the Bible was actually finding evidence that supports the, the flood account in the book of uh, Genesis, and they wanted me out of the department. So they mounted this witch hunt against me. It turned into a lawsuit. We won the lawsuit. Wow. I think the university close to $2 million uh, trying to defend themselves against this wrongful termination. But it killed my career. I cannot be hired now. So that's when I decided the world needs to know about this. And we started this nonprofit organization called distry.org. And we have 10 publications. Um, and, and they're all secular journals. Most of them have been in the Microscopy Society of America journal, Microscopy Today. And they made me an editor on the journal. So now, not only am I required to publish three papers a year on this area of study, but I can bring students in. So we have a whole program now where students who are interested in science can get into this area of study, learn from it, publish in it. How would that look on a college yeah. application? If you're applying school of choice and you already have a publication history, see, that's what we're offering to the students who want to do science. And everybody's excited about dinosaur science. So it's really pretty cool. That is cool. fantastic. Uh, that is fantastic. That is absolutely incredible. You know, you, uh, the people say there's uh, there's no bias, and they think just the, the quote, scientific community, you know, isn't, uh, uh, there's no ideology involved in it or anything like that. But you, you hear more and more stories about things like this um, in the mainstream community where people who believe in a literal interpretation of the Bible are pushed out, uh, you know, of their careers, of the public square, of academic journals, all those kind of things. It's incredible. You were actually published in academic journals. I mean, secular journals that, that amazes me, you know, um, this, this topic, if somebody's just kind of jumping into this for the first time and they were surfing through YouTube and, and this came up, like there's a whole thought process behind this about the geologic column that the world was covered in a global flood and that that's what produced the fossil record that we see. So this is just sort of one piece of the puzzle. You know, this isn't just one random fact. Oh, we found dinosaur soft tissue. And so we think the world is thousands or at least the geologic column is thousands, not millions of years old. This is just one piece of the puzzle. There's a lot of other things that go into it, you know, including the sedimentary rock layers, the fossilization process, the existence of fossil fuels, things that are indicative of uh, a flood, a global flood, you know, and, and, and one gigantic global flood instead of, you know, many global floods. So the dinosaur soft tissue thing is a piece of that, but it almost just sounds like wild, I think, because like you said, it's, it's being pushed out of uh, mainstream academia. Like, can you just explain a little bit like about that? I mean, is this real? Like, like what dinosaurs have we found soft tissue for? And I'm not a, a doctor, uh, a scientific doctor. I'm a doctor of ministry. Uh, I have a doctor of ministry degree, but I wouldn't think soft tissue can last 60 million years, which is, you know, how long ago I think T-Rexes supposedly roamed the earth. So, like, just kind of fill us in on that. Like, is, is this real? Tell us a little bit more about the history, too, because I know that you mentioned this has been going around since the 1960s. Um, the first I heard of it, the reason I said recently was because uh, there was a lady by, by the name of Mary Schweitzer back in, I think it was 2006 or 2007, an evolutionary scientist who actually popularized this maybe in our time. But, uh, you know, give us a little, fill us in there. Like, is this real? Tell us about the history. Like, wh like what's going on? <laughs> well, it's, it's very real. And I think the fact that we're getting journal covers, uh, these are the nerves that we discovered in Triceratops. And so they put on the cover of the journal. So it is real. It is science. Uh, they're letting us publish over and over and over again. As I said, they made me an editor, uh, review editor on the journal. So that's a record. This is a recognition by science to, to on a journal cover because of your work is huge. But in terms of history, yes, it started in the 60s 
And then uh, in the early 2000s, Dr. Mary Schweitzer from the University of North Carolina uh, was working in Montana and they recovered a T-Rex femur, long bone, like I was talking about. And they prepped it to take it away from the web, the, uh, the dig site. And part of that process means you wrap it in a plaster cast like you'd get on your arm if you broke your arm. That adds a lot of weight to the fossil. And because it was so large and so heavy, they couldn't truck it out. And they tried to helicopter it out and they couldn't do it. So they had to break it in pieces. And that's when Dr. Schweitzer sent those pieces back to her lab. And a technician did this hospital style that we call a decalcification, where you're taking the calcium atoms out of the bone and it literally dissolves before your eyes and the soft tissues are all there. You can pipette them out and collect them. We put them on slides for permanent observation. So we're building a library of all these tissues that people can borrow and look at and study. But um, she made it very popular. Um, and uh, she did, to her credit, reference the work of the people who came before her, which is very important in science. You want to acknowledge uh, the work that came before you that you're building on. She did that. So she brought it all to the forefront. And that's what got my attention as a soft tissue expert. I can't understand how these tissues last beyond 500 years, let alone <laughs> how old are these fossils class? That's what we're trying to figure out, right? So if they are based on the flood, that's about 4,500 years. I cannot understand how these cells, and they're beautiful cells. If you go to the website, you see all these pictures, how these cells and veins and blood vessels and even nerves, these gorgeous nerves that still have lipids in them. You know what lipid is, right? It's fat. Fat is one of the first things to be consumed in the dirt, in the, in the fossil layers the microbes and organisms that are designed to do lipid peroxidation, which is what it's called, are innumerable. And so how can we find inside of these bones that are still bone nerves that carry the impulses and feelings that these dinosaurs were feeling? We're actually looking at their nerves still there under the microscope. So based on all my, all my training that these tissues break down quickly, I cannot understand how they're still here after 500 years, let alone 4,500 years. And, and if you think about it in terms of millions of years, it's an absolute pipe dream. We should find nothing. The same thing happened when uh, the creation group uh, started studying diamonds for the presence of carbon-14. There is carbon-14 in diamonds. Why, why was it never discovered before? Because they knew it wasn't there, so they didn't go looking now, for it. Now, explain a little bit we about that, because that I think I think carbon-14 isn't supposed to last longer than, is it 40 or 50,000 years? There shouldn't be any uh, presence of carbon-14 in, in diamonds or dinosaur tissue. Right. After 50,000 years, you should have no carbon-14. And so um, we haven't really looked at that in dinosaur bones. There are some people who are studying that. But what we're trying to do is... Uh, like you mentioned before, look at every dinosaur and look at them in different deposits. And we're finding these commonalities throughout. Uh, about 5% of them are permineralized. Now, a lot of people use the term fossilized. Fossil actually means it's in the ground. It was once living or once a part of a living animal. Uh, and it just happens to be buried in the dirt. That's the technical term for fossilized. Uh, people confuse that with the term permineralization, which means liquids that are saturated with things like silica and calcium, calcite. They infiltrate into these bones and they replace the mineral or the um, organic components with those minerals and it turns into a rock. We do find those, but mostly what we find are bones that stink, just like you would find bones in a graveyard that's wow. have a stent. So that's what's common about this. And I predicted it when I first went to Montana and found what I found in this broken up horn that was full of plant roots, fungal bodies, insect mouth part. We found insect mouth parts 
on the inside of these bones. So they're getting in all the way to consume this stuff, and yet it is plentiful. And that was my prediction in 2013, that this is the norm rather than the exception. And our 10, 11 papers now have shown that to be true. So we found it in Triceratops, in T-Rex, in Edmontosaurus, in Nanotyrannus, in Stegosaurus. Uh, and this is just the beginning. We're just a small group doing this. Uh, but like I say, we've made 20 world-first discoveries through our publications. So we're moving science. We're advancing science. And all of our work is going into the technical literature. So other scientists are reading it and we're working hard to develop collaborations with them. It's very important not to drive people away by our message. And sadly, many Christians and particularly many of the creation groups, they're just all about arguing with people. That's not Sermon on the Mount, you know. <laughs> Sermon on the Mount is poor in spirit, merciful, right? humble. And so we've been able to develop some really neat relations professional scientists who want to know what this is. And so, and I think the Lord has blessed that, our, our willingness to build relationships and bridges and not, you know, uh, drive people away with argumentation. The science speaks for itself. One of the things we've been doing, which is a real, in my mind, a real miracle, is that we are now teaching in the public schools. Um, we're allowed to take our science content because it's published into the public school and just present the science. Because wow. Science with the state standards. All the state standards in every state in the union uh, talk about fossilization and fossils and what are they really like, what's really out there. And so we fit right into those state standards and we present our material and by the end of the period, the students all say, this can't be old. This has to be young. And so it breaks right through all that indoctrination um, that they have done to convince people that these are very old organisms. And I, based on the evidence of soft tissue, they cannot be very old organisms. That is absolutely amazing. This is just kind of a random question. Do you, you ever see a day, uh, assuming the Lord Jesus doesn't return before then, when uh, dinosaurs are resurrected? I mean, what kind of information are we getting from this soft tissue? Um, That's a great question. And what that relates to is DNA. Um, we talked about the half-life of carbon-14. That's about 5,700 years. So, so every 5,700 years, half of what you had in the beginning goes away. And so you can see that by successive half-lives in a certain period of time, like 50,000 years for carbon-14, there's none of it left. The same goes for DNA, which is the information molecule in the nucleus of the cell. Interestingly, Dr. Schweitzer, you mentioned her, did very careful work on the cells themselves. She actually identified proteins, not just in the nucleus, but in the nucleolus, which is that very tiny reserved compartment within the nucleus, within the cell. She identified those proteins as still being there. Wow. Which is incredible. I mean, a protein can break down just in the presence of water. So rainwater can break DNA down. It's a sugar molecule. It has a ribose background, deoxyribonucleic acid. So that only has a half-life of 521 years. So you can imagine every 521 years, half of what you had goes away. And so there's very little DNA left today. So the chances of resurrecting, you know, you remember Jurassic Park where they used the oh, frog yeah. <laughs> DNA to merge and make the T-Rexes. It's wonderful entertainment, right? We all love the Jurassic Park movies, but the chances of all this coming together before the Lord returns, I think, are zero. Um, I think all we're going to have is the remains that we have in the ground. But nonetheless, it evokes so much energy and enthusiasm and excitement when we offer students the opportunity to come work in our lab and to handle these bones and to dissolve them the way we do and how to collect those tissues. You have to be very careful in all your steps. These things are very fragile. Um, if they are 4,500 years old, which is what 
The Bible text certainly shows us. Historically, we have accounts of dinosaurs interacting with humans, um, and those are almost in every culture also. So I think it's within the mind and memory of man that we have existed with these organisms. Um, and, and often they would just go kill them because they were wreaking havoc on villages and whatnot. But we have that history in human history, and we have the history in the bones that shows, man, these things are so fragile, they shouldn't be here, yet they are. And, and just so I understand, too, for clarity, we're talking about carbon-14, and if there's soft tissue, maybe that answers the carbon-14 question for us. There's no way you can have soft tissue and not have carbon-14. If there's carbon-14, there's no way these bones are more than, I mean, at a max, what, 40,000 years or 50,000 years? I mean, obviously, we don't believe they're that old, but... Um, in theory, right, but those they're, they're just not millions yeah, of years but, old. That is the implication of this study, right? And and a uh, a group called the Paleo Group, uh, you can Google them. They've done this carbon fourteen test. They tested our horn, and it came in at thirty four thousand years plus or minus about six thousand. It's still incredibly young compared on the paradigm yeah. that's been presented to the general public, and so people are shocked. Because uh, everybody has been indoctrinated to believe that these are very old, long before humans walked the planet, ages and ages and ages before. In fact, some of the organisms, like the Permian organisms that we've worked on, and these are 300 million years old now, 290 to 300 million years. Uh, we dig in Texas for those, and they're found in very small places around the world. But they had to move from the single continent uh, idea of Pangaea. Remember, we've been taught that Pangaea was the one landmass on the Earth, and because of plate tectonics, that drifted apart into the continents that we have today. Well, those organisms were in Pangaea, according to their time scale, and had to move 8,000 miles to come to rest where they are today, where we could collect them. Some of the best nerves we've ever found have come out of those organisms, which are 300 million years old in accepted ages. So we don't buy the ages. We think the ages are a construct, and we think that they oversold it, and now they've painted themselves in a corner because they're having to explain yeah. by mechanical means how these soft tissues are still there. And they've fallen upon iron as a preservative. Well, I, that was my, that was the next question iron. I was going to ask you. And I, I just want to interject this because uh, I know from studying this a little bit that that is has been the proposed explanation from the evolutionary community that that iron yeah. has somehow magically preserved uh, this soft tissue. Right. So, yes. Tell us about that's, that. That's what they said. And that's all they present now is that, oh, we figured it out. It's the iron. Well, just look at a bumper in Detroit during the winter, and you'll see what happens to iron in the presence of the elements. So iron is very corrosive. It, it, it gobbles up tissue. In fact, there are plenty of medical papers that talk about this condition where you have too much iron. Free iron in your body is like Pac-Man. It just goes around and chews up. And so it's a mortality factor in many diseases for people. Uh, and so we don't see iron in real life preserving things. Um, in fact, we have now a solid record of publishing on blood clots in these organisms. Nobody else is publishing on this. We have found blood clots in the canals of these bones in every single organism that we've studied, about 11 different dinosaurs now. And so the blood is clotted in these canals and it never migrated out into the bone. And so if all these cells in the bone are preserved and the iron is locked in the canal in a clot, what is preserving these cells and tissues that we're finding when we dissolve the bone? So it's a very inadequate answer uh, to this problem, and we think the clots, which are indication of asphyxiation, yeah. when you drown, you suffer blood clots if you die. 
in that condition. If you're resuscitating in the ER, pathology comes back and it's clotting. Now you're bleeding out. So blood is coming out of your pores and they're trying to save you as a drowning victim from this bleed out. And most people who are rescued uh, from a drowning event die within two or three hours uh, or I'm sorry, two or three days because of the complications from the clotting and the bleeding out. So we think that the iron preservation theory is just uh, ridiculous on its face, but that's what their clinging mechanism, because there's no other explanation for how these can be here unless God himself is involved yeah. in preserving it. Go ahead. Ex- explain a little bit about the, uh, I know that they did a test on this, just in case anybody out there is is listening and they say, well, they did a test on it. And um, my understanding is the test wasn't exactly, uh, you know, it was it, it, the same conditions that you would find out there in nature. And, you know, from, from the perspective of a, of a sane, rational, reasoning human being, the whole iron thing, it just sounds ridiculous to me. Like magical iron comes in and saves the day for the evolutionists. You know, I mean, to me, this is a big problem. Like, I I think that this needs to be emphasized. This, the the existence of soft tissue for the evolutionary community and people who are claiming millions and billions of years, at least for the fossil record, you know, we get into cosmology and stuff and, you know, there's other, other arguments to be made, but for the fossil record, this is a big problem for the evolutionary community. And I, I don't think enough attention is given to this. And they come in with this magical iron and they say that they've done experiments. Can you just fill us in on that a little bit and maybe give a, a, a rebuttal to their what, what they're saying? Yes, let's talk about their experiments. They did two of them. The first one was they collected chicken blood and emu blood. And the first thing they did with that blood was inject an anticoagulant into it. Now think about that. You're a dinosaur at Hell Creek and you fall over dead and somehow you got uh, an anticoagulant injected into your system so that your blood couldn't clot. They cannot abide clots in their experiment. So the very first thing they did was put an anticoagulant in in there so the blood wouldn't do what blood normally does. When you take blood out of an organism, certain factors are released. All kinds of proteins are released that start this blood clotting cascade. And at the end of the cascade, all the clots. When we thin section these bones, in fact, I have a thin section right here. So we'll we'll collect these bones and then we thin section into thin pieces. I don't know if you can see how thin Oh, yeah, that we can is. see it, yeah. About half the width. Yeah, yeah, it's half the width of a human hair. These are full of clots. Wow. And so clots are real in every one of these bones, which means they asphyxiated and stayed in that condition. They weren't injected with a co- anticoagulant. They weren't given CPR and oxygen and all that stuff. They died in this condition. So... Um, the fact that they have done these two experiments doesn't prove that it happened in real life. So in the first experiment, they used emu and chicken blood. Then they put it in a centrifuge, which is a spinning machine that pulls everything down into the bottom of the test tube. They spun it six times, six times. They spun the blood down to take out all the cells, the red blood cells, the white cells, the platelets. They also used molecular filters to filter this blood through to take out all the the factors, uh, fibrinogen, fibrin, all these things that form clots. When you take blood out of a body, it automatically clots. They took all that away, and then they collected some uh, emu tissues, and they soaked them in this heavily prepared blood for two years in a a container on an air-conditioned laboratory bench. Come on, that's not (laughs) Hell Creek. Yeah, last I checked, two years isn't uh, 200 million years or 60 million. There's a a little difference. And it's it's also not the natural conditions that we're finding the bones in. This was done in a laboratory, you know, in a sealed room. Am I correct in in all this? I mean, this is not the natural conditions, which you should try to repeat if if you're trying to prove a theory. Exactly. And so there was so much criticism from the first 
uh, experimental test. They call it actualistic experiments when, it, as you just noted, it's not actualistic. It's very laboratory, very sanitized. So when they did the second uh, experiment, instead of collecting blood and doing all that stuff to the blood, excuse me, the blood that they did, pardon me, they actually took iron oxide off the chemistry shelf, poured that in their experiment, and that's what they used because they couldn't deal with the problems that blood was making for them to prove their experiment. So, yeah. And even that was uh, laughed at. So, no, I, I think they're, they have painted themselves very bad corner for years without doing their homework uh, and checking the bones. They would always prize the bones. In fact, we have a reputation in Montana for being those guys who dissolved that beautiful 48-inch-long Triceratops horn. Yes, we did. That's what we do. We dissolve them. And so they hate us because we're ruining the bones. But I look at like pyramids, right? With King Tut's treasures buried in these little chambers inside the bones. So we're finding treasure that every human on the planet needs to understand are there. So no, their experimentation has been awful. Um, their results were awful. So they literally stopped publishing on these things. And now they're only looking at molecules. So which most people don't understand. So they're making broad pronouncements based on the molecules that they're finding and not the fact that all these tissues are still there. So they're ignoring it. They're, they're ignoring this whole section of science. Um, I mean, in my mind's eye, you should see this on mainstream media outlets. Like it's that big of a, of a news story here, you know, like yes. uh, discoveries. Uh, of the last 50 years or recent discoveries, however you want to say it, challenge the paradigm of millions of years. I mean, that's yeah. that's the headline, but they're just completely ignoring it. Yeah. Right, which is on them. And I often say to people, who cares about the evolutionists, really? I mean, these are folks who are not going to hear what we have to share anyway. Their minds are already closed off, and they're going to great lengths to try to preserve. Even in the churches, I've had People, many people come up to me in the church and say, well, you know, the Big Bang has been proven and the iron preservation proves that these are very old. And we're not shocked to find uh, soft tissue and organisms 300 million years old. Well, everybody else says, I have a clue for them. Everybody else says, but who cares about the evolutionists? I mean, we've got the best science that microscopy has brought to the forefront in the last 200 years of paleontology because we got them to start dissolving their bones, which they didn't want to do. But all the treasures are found in there, just like the carbon-14 was found in the diamonds. Oops, how can it be there? <laughs> same, same problem. But it's based on your paradigm, on what your world system, worldview system is. And we're not rancorous about it. We're loving and compassionate. We just present our science we don't argue with people. We don't call them names or tell them their work is this or that or the other. We share our work and invite them to come in and collaborate. And I think because we publish, we can occupy that higher ground. We don't have to argue. We can say, well, here's the science. Your job as a scientist is to go into the same journal with your results and show how our science results are wrong. No one has done that to date. And like I say, it's just an amazing window and door that the Lord has opened up for us to be able to publish. They want three papers a year out of me on this area of study. So I'm thinking I need students. We have like six or seven students right now who are learning this. They're getting their own results. They're going to publish and present their own work at these meetings and publish in the journals. So that I think is the better approach than just standing around taking pot shots at yeah, people without the solid science to back you up. You know, it's my hope that in, in the public school system, the cultural swing uh, to the point where it may be, um, you know, maybe in our lifetime, maybe at some point in the future, I don't know if it happens in America or, or, or somewhere else in the world, uh, hopefully in the West, um, that this is presented at least alongside other theories as a, as a reasonable thing. Um, I wanted to take a second and just drill down on 
more so on the implications of this because you know we, we talk about like it's it's paradigm shifting and all of that kind of stuff but uh, and we threw some numbers out there when we were talking 40,000 years uh, people if if you're listening in to this for the first time and this is just hitting you uh, off the cuff uh, you know 40,000 years we're we're throwing numbers out there this is this is one layer to the whole evolutionary argument to old age theories of the earth. Um, the significance of this is that the fossil record specifically is young. And, and that's what we're saying. Like there's all these other areas of science, cosmology, um, astronomy, all, all these other physics, like these other, other things about do you take Genesis chapter one literally? I, you know, I'm put all my cards on the table. I'm a, I'm a young Earth creationist, a six day young Earth creationist. You know, and, and I kind of got to that point because of this stuff, because of the fossil record. And I think what we see here is that uh, God flooded the world. That that the world was flooded. That produced all of the fossils in the geologic column that we see, uh, thousands, not millions of years ago, and that this was a one time event. Um, there's all these other layers to what we're talking about here. Obviously, you and I are coming from at this from a religious perspective, from a biblical perspective, a particular religion, Christianity, because of our faith in Jesus and the Bible. Um, these aren't necessarily salvation issues. A person, you know, they don't necessarily, a person can, in a sense, believe in the Big Bang and still be a Christian, but what we're saying yeah. here in today's conversation specifically has to do with the geologic column. And, and it proves two things. The earth, the geologic column is not that old. And the earth was once flooded, like thousands of years ago, not millions of years ago. So I, I think for me, that's the huge takeaway from this. And, and I think it's something that from an evolutionary perspective, they just have a hard time explaining away. I mean, they've come up with this whole iron thing, but it really sounds ridiculous, you know? Um, and and yeah. so th this, I think the conversation today sort of hones in on that one piece of the whole creation debate, if, if that makes any sense, you know? It, and it that's does. the relevance and, and of, the of what we're talking about here, the dinosaur soft tissue. Yeah, the relevance cannot be understated uh, or overstated, I guess I should say, because uh, when you think about your relationship with Jesus Christ, I mean, it's not a religion, it's a relationship with the Creator, uh, He who spoke all things into existence. And we see Jesus doing in the New Testament with the words of His mouth what He was doing in Genesis by speaking, Tabitha, arise. You know, Lazarus, come out, peace be still to the storm. That's the creator using his voice to control things on his earth in the biblical era, uh, New Testament era, that he did naturally in the Old Testament by speaking things into existence. Now, if you have a relationship with this creator of the universe, I don't think you'd want to call him a liar every day. In fact, <laughs> how would he feel when you go to pray? Oh, dear Jesus, I need your help in this and that. Well, yeah, you've been calling me a liar every day of your existence. What's that going to do, first of all, with your relationship with Jesus? Is he going to take that well that you called him a liar while you professed to follow him? Jesus said at the beginning of creation, God made the male and female at the beginning said that twice in the gospels he also talked about as it was in the days of noah so shall it be at the coming of the son of man people were eating we see people going out to eat all the time today drinking we see all this revelry going on giving in marriage marrying and giving in marriage that's really a human construct also god invented marriage in Genesis, where he presented one man and one woman together, and they were married in his sight. That, But we put all these human trappings on it. And so we see Jesus predicting at the end times what it's going to be like, and they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. So geez, if, if, if you're a Christian, 
you're claiming to follow Jesus. Um, remember in, in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, whoever practices and teaches these things will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does not practice and teaches others not to do them will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Now, I don't know what kind of relationship with Jesus you want to have in heaven. I want the best I can get. Why? He's my creator. He made every molecule in my body. He sustains me. He's probably sustaining all this soft tissue out there, which he bragged about in Job. Are not their bones like brass and iron? They're full of iron because all the iron is clotted inside these bones. So he was bragging in advance about what we're finding in these. I give him great honor and submission and homage. I surrender to him in my heart, in my speech, in my thoughts, in my deeds. Why? I want to be close to Jesus. If you're calling Jesus a liar every day because you don't believe what he said, you don't believe that the flood was real, you don't believe that there was a real Adam and Eve who walked in the garden in the presence of God and who sinned, disobeyed God, thus bringing sin in, you don't have a relationship with Jesus. And you might be in danger of him saying, to those people, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Away from me, you evil doers. I never knew you. I'm not going to be in that position. I'm going to trust him, which is what he expects of me. He said in John, the work is to believe. That's our job. Trust him, believe him, follow him. Don't question his words. I ask people, what was the first sin in the Bible? Oh, Adam and Eve ate from the fruit. No wrong F for your work. The first sin in the Bible was, did God really say? I, I think the bottom line is that when you look at things like this, uh, th this is what I really wanted to emphasize to people today, is just when you look at things like this, you see what we believe in, and people might not be aware that we look at the geologic column and evolutionists look at the geologic column, and they see, they see the same layers, they see the same bones we see. Um, they they, they believe that the world was actually covered in, you know, six or seven floods, like they call them tranquil floods, and, and this doesn't make a whole lot of sense, and that these floods produced, you know, the, the different layers that we have today. And right. so if there's soft tissue in bones that are supposedly millions of years old and it seems like those rock layers were laid down and I, I know this sounds fantastical if somebody's listening to this for the first time it's hard to imagine and picture because we can only um, look at the world to a certain degree with uh, a uniform understanding of it what what are the processes that we see today but when we look at the geologic column it's obvious that there were different processes at work in the past yes. that we don't currently see Correct. And now there's soft tissue in there, and these things aren't millions of years old, so it seems like there was probably one event that put all of these different fossils in the ground at different stages. That's why you yeah. see, you know, the uh, the aquatic life toward the bottom layers, yeah, um, you know, and then you see the it progresses upward toward, you know, the things that were in the marshlands, and then you see mammals a little bit higher up and that kind of stuff and birds and those kind of things, but... Um, but it, it points us to it points us to asking questions about a book that tells us about a global flood that wiped out some of these things. To me, that's those are really the driving implications of a discovery like this. Because we can look and we can say the fossil record is thousands of years old. Okay, wow, that's paradigm shifting. Well, wait a minute. There's this really famous book that tells us that the world was covered in a flood and kind of explained, we didn't believe it, but it explained how this stuff got here in the ground, in the dirt. So all of a sudden the dino soft tissue thing, you know, it's just one piece of evidence, but it's, it's making me look at the Bible and take it more seriously, you know, as a, as a historical document, right? Yeah. It's a game changer. And, and um, our friends who don't hold to a biblical point of view, are uh, mystified, stymied, uh, really upset and confused about it. And, and 
know, most of the churches I've been in have been led by people who do not believe. You know, did God really say that there was six days of creation? Did God really say there was a global flood that lasted a whole year on the earth? They deny that. And so that's why I say, I wonder what kind of relationship. Okay, you might wash up on the beach of heaven. Yeah, but are you going to receive a great welcome? Will you be invited to greatness? And that's what that phrase in the Sermon on the Mount means that Jesus was saying. If you obey and teach these things and follow them in your life, you will be invited to greatness in heaven. I would like to receive that invitation. If that's the brass ring that Jesus allows me to grasp on this side by trusting him in face of all, all the odds, I want that brass ring. And I hope you want it too. I hope everyone listening here wants that kind of relationship with Jesus because there will be responsibilities awarded in heaven. There will be, we'll be working jobs, uh, serving the Lord. I, I, we, we can only imagine, you know, what it might be like. There will be reward in heaven. And if you want to walk around in heaven being called the least for all of eternity, hey, I'm not going to stop you from doing that. But I am going to encourage you to trust Jesus more, trust him completely, which is what I've done. And the proof is in the pudding. I, I often ask myself, why me, God? Why did you choose me to find all of these world first and to publish them in a major journal and to be presenting in front of PhDs about the blood clots? And they're shocked by them and they want to know what they mean. Why me, Lord? And I believe it's because I put my faith in him first. I said, I don't care. I was trained as an evolutionist at the University of Florida. I dragged my evolution into my Christianity and, and made a mess of things. Wow. So, so you were an I evolutionist at one point in your life and yes. were convinced yes. of, of the things that we're talking about today. Yes. When I went out to discover them for myself, I realized, wow, this is bigger than me. This is bigger than everybody. It's as big as the Bible, because here's the proof right here, and it's global. This layer of dinosaur material is global. We hope to dig it all around the earth and to show people, yep, it happened here, it happened here, it happened here, it happened here. And I think maybe those kind of uh, discoveries might wake a lot of people up in these last days. But I think a lot of people are being led astray, and I think there's too much pride. We have all this mm. pride in our training, in our human knowledge, in our stature, what we have accomplished. We've accomplished nothing, okay? <laughs> it's all because of Jesus. He's the one blessing us. With he gives us things. the breath in and our so lungs. And that's maybe if we're thinking about the one who's out there who's listening to this. And I honestly, I pray my, my prayer is that there are evolutionists listening to this. That's who this is for. It's to encourage yeah. Christians, um, so that you know that the, the Bible is true. But, you know, we, yes. we want you, if you're, if you're listening to this, if you're watching this, to um, really give these things a second look and, and give that book a second look called the Bible because, uh, you know, maybe it's, maybe it's a little more accurate than you thought it was. Maybe it's, maybe it's able to tell us things too, not just about Earth's history, but also about our salvation and the things that God can do for us yeah. uh, in our lives. So, um, Doctor Mark, I, I wanted to uh, uh, just kind of begin to land the plane a little bit here, and because you have a, an actual institute and an organization that's centered around dinosaur soft tissue, um, what specific uh, like experiments are you working on? Is there any new stuff that you're you're doing there? I mean, in terms of this whole discussion and debate about dinosaur soft tissue? What kind, of, what kind of things you got going on there in your laboratory? Yes. Um, well, to date, we have corroborated the discoveries of Dr. Schweitzer and others by finding cells. We found thousands and thousands of these beautiful cells, which are infinitesimally small. If you magnify human hair, say, a hundred times, about 25 of these cells would fit across one of your hairs. That's how small these are. And they taper to these fine little, they're called dendrites that come off the cell. They're actually connections that connect to all the cells in the bone because it's a living city inside your bone. 
They say that your bones are completely recycled every 15 years, and it's because of these cells finding cracks and defects and repairing your bones. You don't even have to think about it. This happens automatically, but the fact that we've corroborated the cells, we've found things that other people haven't found, like veins and vein valves, like nerves, like these clots. And I'll tell you about the experiment that we worked out to, to identify these as clots. There's a phenomenon in science, in biology, called fluorescence. It is the giving off of light. Maybe you remember the story of Moses, how he went up on the mountain to be with God for an extended period of time. And when he came down, the Israelites were affected by his appearance. In fact, they asked him to put what on? A veil. They wanted him to put a veil over his face. Why? His face was autofluorescing. Now, I can take your tissue, a sample of your tissue, and put it on a slide after preparing it, and I can hit it with a special wavelength of light. You know what the you know what the wavelengths of light are, right? It's a spectrum of color. We see it in the rainbow from yeah, purple yeah. up to yellow. And so we can take one wavelength out of that rainbow and hit your tissue with it, and your tissue will glow a different color of wow. light. It gives off light as a result of the energy hitting it. And so Moses, in the presence of God, and his energy hitting Moses' face for 40 days, I think it was, he was glowing. He was giving off the light that his body was producing as a result of the energy that impinged upon him. Now, metals do this too. You can identify certain metals by hitting them with a specific wavelength of light, and they will glow a specific wavelength of light. This is all in the textbooks. All the handbooks you can go and refer to, and you, you can look up what's called the lines of iron. And that means if you hit it with a light, it's going to glow this color. That's all in the books. So we went to those books and found the wavelengths that would excite iron. We made our thin sections, like I showed you before. These thin, we actually grind the bones down into this very thin piece of tissue. But we hit that with a particular wavelength of light that would excite the iron, and the iron was excited. It all started glowing. And so that's the experiment that we did with the microscope to prove that this is really iron in there. There are other experiments we could do, but what we're finding is that this is in every bone. All this iron is restricted to the canals in a clot. It's solid iron at this point, kind of like the Lord bragged about, or not their bones like iron, and they glow. And so we're presenting this in almost every paper that we're publishing over and over again and showing here it happened, here it happened, here it happened. These all suffered the same kind of death, which was this asphyxiation, probably in mud-filled water. That is just amazing. And uh, this was just such an awesome discussion today. Are, uh, are there any like textbooks? I know you mentioned maybe um, materials or something that you give. Is there any resources that somebody who is interested maybe in promoting this in their school systems could be a Christian school could be a, a public school system maybe, but uh, any resources available? Well, the cool thing is that uh, schools are really in need of STEM content today. You've heard of S T E M science, okay, technology, yeah. engineering, math. And during COVID our students were, they, they lost two years worth of learning. So Right now, most of our students are in a world of hurt. The STEM that they're getting is garbage. You know, programming a little robot to put a hand up and down and wave <laughs> high. That's not science, technology, engineering, math. That's busy work to keep the students busy while they're in school. This kind of work is, is so easy to do. We can train you, and you can do it yourself and find the cells and nerves yourself. So... We're promoting this as STEM content, and we've been in a lot of Christian schools. We've been 39 of our hands-on laboratories. So we go out, and we'll do a whole three-hour laboratory for a group of 20 students, and we can do that three times in one day. So we can have 60 students come through in one day and see the nerves and the cells and all these things with their own eyes on these microscopes. So that's one resource we have. 
We do come into the schools and just present our science, whether Christian school or public school. So when you hear the science, you get the picture on your own. You don't have to be told what this means. Most people react to it. But yes, we have a website, dstri.org. All of our papers, uh, 10 and pretty soon 11 published papers are up there. So you don't have to argue with people. You can download, print the papers and hand them to that PhD who's closed-minded, to that engineer who doesn't really want to know. Um, believe me, it wrecks people's world. <laughs> I would imagine. I, I would papers. imagine. That's fantastic. Because yeah. So, uh, well, go ahead. Go ahead. I'll give you the, fi the final word here. Go ahead. Yeah. No, you can do that. You can also download our free books. We have three free books that we give away. We've given away over 20,000 copies of our books. We'll mail them to you for free. If you want to give them away, contact us through distry.org. Tell us how many books you want. They'll arrive at your door postpaid. Won't cost you anything, but you got to give them away. They can't sit on your shelf, okay? <laughs> give them away because it's really the best way to introduce people to this stuff. Amen. That is fantastic. And uh, obviously people can, they can keep up with you at your website. Are you on Facebook or YouTube yes. or any of those other uh, social media platforms? Yes, we have a Facebook page. It's uh, mark.armitage.me. I think it's what it is. But I think if you just look up Mark Armitage on uh, Facebook, it'll come up. We have a YouTube channel with tons of videos. Some of them are on our website. Others are on YouTube. If you search Mark A. that's our channel. But all of it's on our website. You can contact us through the website. Let us know if you'd like us to come into your city. We don't charge to come. We come for free. We'll load up the van with 20 microscopes and drive. We've, we've been to Minneapolis State, State, State College, Pennsylvania, Modesto here in Washington, El Paso, Las Cruces. We've been all over the country. Well, we we got to get some and, uh, in Ohio. That's where I'm at right now. We got to get some. Uh, yeah, yeah. We're, we're in dire need. So if you're listening out there and you're in our state, let's get some of this stuff in our schools. I think that's a great uh, call to action for Christians. Um, I, I, I'm a believer. Christians yes. are supposed to engage culture. This is a scriptural principle. Jesus wants us to be the the kings and, and priests of our of our communities. And so that loving a part of that is sharing information like this with the right people. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I, I cut you off there. That's okay. Lovingly and Amen. humbly. Yes, we are to be ambassadors of Christ. And so we encourage people to use our materials, but do it lovingly. This is a, look, everybody is our brother and sister in Adam and Eve. I don't care how they come down politically, how they come down scientifically, how they come down biblically. That is your brother or sister in Adam and Eve that you are talking to. And so they're part of the family. Let's treat each other like family and just share and let the chips fall where they may. The, you, all we can do is plant more. It's the Lord who gives the increase, but use our materials they're not offensive. They're mostly, I had a PhD tell me, this is the best little dinosaur book he's ever read. And it's got pictures of all the science, but we have a lot of drawings. So the kids love it, but the science is there too. So feel free to download all this stuff or ask us for hard copies and we'll get them to you. Awesome, my friend. Well, God bless you. And uh, thank you so much for what you're doing. I don't know if I communicated that already, but so thankful that God has just put this on your heart to go in this direction. When I first heard about the whole dinosaur soft tissue thing, I obviously I was excited about it. I was intrigued. And um, you're somebody who I think is in a position to actually provide some credible and qualitative scientific answers to an unbelieving world and just people who are interested. So I think fantastic. Yeah. Uh, go check out Dr. Mark's ministry, his website, uh, his YouTube channel, all of that stuff. Um, and uh, if you haven't done so already, make sure that you like and subscribe to this one because, uh, you know, I'm Pastor AJ, the uh, lead pastor of Gospel Ministries. And as a ministry, we seek to uh, get everyone around us to experience, demonstrate, and share God's great gospel. That's really what this is all about. Um, and so uh, make sure you like and subscribe. And, and you can also go to my, uh, my website, PastorAG.com, where you can actually become a channel member and get all kinds of extra content. Um, you can sign up for a weekly email from me uh, where you'll get links to cool videos like this one right here. But again, Dr. Mark, thank you so much for taking the time, man. God bless you. 
And uh, let me just let me say a word of prayer for you. How about how about that? Lord God, we just yeah. want to come before you right now, and I just want to thank you so much for my brother. Uh, in Jesus' name, Lord, I want to pray that you uh, just make his ministry even more fruitful than it already has been, Lord God. We're just praying for uh, breakthroughs, for scientific breakthroughs that uh, demonstrate the truth of your gospel to an unbelieving world, Lord God. And and also, God, we ask that you go before us and you prepare minds and hearts and allow people to come before you and approach this topic and other topics with an open mind so that they can be impacted with your life, God. That's that's really what we want for people. So God, we just wanna pray your blessings on his ministry. We wanna pray your blessings on our world, God. And we wanna pray that your gospel goes out and impacts lives for the better. In Jesus' name, Yes. amen. God bless, and we'll see you next episode. Amen. Hey, there's one more thing I've got to share with you. I want you to know that you know Jesus and that you will one day be resurrected and spend an eternity with him. The Bible says that all those who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That all you need to do is confess Jesus with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. So just say this prayer with me right now. Lord Jesus, I am a sinner and I need a savior. I believe that you died for my sins and that you were raised to life three days later. Make me born again in my heart through the power of your Holy Spirit and help me to live for you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. If you said that prayer, you are saved. Now go get yourself a Bible so that you can begin to develop godly habits in your life and make sure to join a Bible-believing local church where you can be baptized as an outward symbol of what God just did in your heart. If you don't have a copy of the Bible, send us a message and we'll get one to you. Welcome to the family, friend. Thank <laughs> you.